everyone, welcome back to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Jenna, we're really excited. We've got a great guest in today. I always enjoy when we've got guests who are outside the zoo community that come in to talk to us and teach us about all kinds of wonderful things. Today we're being joined by Ian Zeglin. Ian is the manager of garden operations and he works at the Green Acres Foundation, which is a local organization just north of Cincinnati. Ian, first off, before you get into Green Acres, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you coming in and chatting with us today. Yeah, wonderful. Very happy to be here. Yes, thanks for joining us. I'm sure we have a lot to learn. Um, and we always start off kind of by asking our guests, mm -hmm. like, how did you get into what you are into? And you might have to explain to us exactly what your title means. And we want to hear about Green Acres. So I guess whatever order that makes the most sense. And if you want to tell us about yourself and your position, or if you want to tell us about Green Acres first, we want to know it all. Cool. Yeah, so uh, Green Acres is a nonprofit foundation in Cincinnati. Um, it was started in the late 80s by Lewis and Louise Nippert. Um, they're a fairly well-known family here in Cincinnati, um, and they basically kind of were looking at the way things were going and said, you know, I think that what we want to do is start a foundation, and we want to set aside um, a few hundred acres in Cincinnati, and we want to conserve and preserve that land and use it to teach mostly children. We're kind of branching out from there at this point, but with the goal of teaching uh, um, children and people about arts, um, uh, agriculture and the environment is kind of the main focus. Mm. So that was almost 40 years ago now, and, and we've grown quite a bit. Um, we now have multiple farms. Uh, we've got one in Brown County, we've got one in Indiana, um, and, and we're just looking to have as much of an impact in those kind of areas in terms of education as we can. That's awesome. So how did you get involved with the organization? So I, technically my first day at the organization was in 2011. Okay. Um, I did not grow up doing agriculture at all. I was not a kid that grew up on a farm at all. Um, my interest in it kind of started actually in a trip in high school. I just happened to go out to a farm with this, this high school trip. Um, and they put us to work on the farm. And one of the things that Sounds they... Sounds like a rough field trip. I was, it was so fun. It was, obviously, I think it was fun. You know, at the time, yeah. it's like, okay, here we go. Um, and one of the things they had us do was they had this big strawberry patch. And they had us pick the snails off of it. Um, and so we were picking the snails off. We were putting them in buckets, right? Which everyone was like, this is terrible. I'm like, this is, this is great. Uh, sneaking strawberries. And then you would take them and you would... We, we, they said, okay, you're done with the snails. These big buckets full of snails. Let's give them to the chickens. So we gave them to the chickens. I was going to ask. I this whole time I was feeling bad for the snails. I'm like, yeah. What happened to the <laughs> well, the snails the snails got slurped up. Okay. Uh, well, at least it was for a good yes. reason. Yes. And so the snails go into the chicken coop. Uh, the chickens go crazy for them. And the farmer that was there at the time explains, yeah. So we take the the snails off the strawberries. We give them to the chickens. The chickens eat them. They eat the shells. There's calcium in them. They they come out with better eggs, stronger shells. And we then take the shells. We put them into the compost, and the compost goes back on the strawberries. And at the time, I was like, no way. Yeah. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard yeah. in my life. Like it's this interconnected loop and right. you had no idea, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and it just goes, oh, well, this just makes sense. This just makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of was in my brain for a while. And I was in school. Um, I was a nutrition major for a little bit, among other things. I was a little bit of a lost boy in school. <laughs> um, and, and I decided for a summer, I, I really loved that farm that I visited. And I said, you know what? This was the next summer, and I went, I'm, I'm just going to go work on a farm for the summer. If I'm going to be in the food area, I should learn about where food comes from. Sure. Um, and so it was actually a summer job at Green Acres, and that was in 2011. Um, and I loved it. I really loved it. And I came back for a few years. I had the opportunity a couple years in to kind of work under a grower that uh, had started working that was really, really, really talented. 
Um, and, and he kind of opened my eyes to how productive uh, small acreage can be. And from that point on, I was just totally obsessed. Um, and so since then, this will be, I'm coming up on, next year will be my 12th growing season. Um, done vegetables, done a little bit of animal stuff here and there, um, and just kind of really been running with it since then. That's really neat. So explain your title. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I love how you like told this story about exactly how you got into this. And it kind of gives us a hint at like what you're doing now mm -hmm. and um, the different types of farming. But if you go to work, mm -hmm. what are you doing on a daily basis? Gosh. Um, so my title is kind of uh, I'm the, the top of the umbrella um, for, for the garden department, which is basically um, any kind of uh, vegetables, flowers, anything like that, um, for better or worse, I'm in charge of them. Um, we do a number of things on the farm. Um, the main thing we do is vegetable production uh, on, a, on about anywhere from, um, some of our farms are as little as an acre, some are only as big as maybe an acre and a half, two acres of production at any given time. Um, we do a cut flower program, um, we're working on developing um, a lot more native and perennial stock to be able to ha offer those to the community. Um, and so we do kind of a number of things. Um, my day is mostly just moving people at this point. Okay. Um, and I have a wonderful team, some of the best people you've ever met. Um, and they do a great job of making sure the farm runs awesome every day. And I generally am on bigger picture stuff these days. Okay. Um, doing basically new stuff. We do a lot of um, research. We have a research department at Green Acres, um, and so we partner with universities, and we're trying stuff that, um, you know, it's okay if we fail. Um, it's okay if we learn something from this and, and, and are able then to take that to farmers and, and help them. Um, and so I spend a lot of time doing that, um, and then whatever, whatever kind of comes up throughout the day, yeah. And you said there's multiple sites at Green Acres now. Which, are you on one location at all times, or do you kind of get to different locations? Like, where are you typically at? Home base is the Cincinnati location okay. in Indian Hill. Um, and then I make it out to Indiana, I make it out to Brown County every once in a while. But generally, I'm kind of all over the place. Yeah, but mostly in Indian Hill. Indian Hill. Yeah. And before we get too far into it, will you, like, just paint a little bit of a picture for the audience mm -hmm. of, like, what this place looks like? like yeah. I've seen photos online and it looks gorgeous. It so gorgeous. I want to kind of demonstrate to the listeners what it, what it was like there. So um, Green Acres in the the Cincinnati location is actually it was originally the farm was called Winding Creek Farm. I believe that's the name. Um, and do you know when you go to the grocery store those little instant yeast packets? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I don't know. I'm blanking on this one. Sorry. There's little. You'll see now that I said it. They're usually like on a top shelf. It's a little packet of instant yeast. They're like brightly colored. They're called Fleischmann's Yeast, right? And the Winding Creek Farm was the Fleischmann's estate. It's the farm they built with yeast money. Oh, um, and so it was kind of at a point left in a bit of disrepair. So when Green Acres took it over in the late 80s, um, there was a lot of repairs that needed to be made. Um, but it was a, at a, when it was built um, in the 40s, it was a beautiful farm. And when we talk about things like sustainability and stuff, this was built in ways where, you know, the manure from the hogs was pumped into the orchards and, um, um, you know, they had all these kind of self-cycling systems on the farm, which is really cool. And they have big, beautiful estate and big, gigantic greenhouse that we had to repair. Um, so it's this really beautiful farm that we've kind of repurposed into um, educational infrastructure. So the greenhouse is not just for production. It has, it has educational uses. Um, our agricultural education building was an old kennel house where they used to keep the hunting dogs, and we put a big addition on it, and now that's where the agricultural educators 
our station. And so we kind of have all these different sites on property. We have old barns that have been turned into education mm -hmm. buildings as well. And basically just taking this beautiful old farm and then just turned it into um, a place where we can teach as many people as possible. We continue to develop in different parts of the, of the farm to continue doing that. So you mentioned that you have people that are like planting and mm -hmm. doing that, but are you managing like at what point in the year you're planting certain vegetables or certain flowers and like you're learning that and where does this production go to? Because mm -hmm. are you, you guys aren't selling to grocery stores Correct. and there's, you know, can you explain a little bit about how you're deciding what to plant and when and where that goes to? Yes. So it's, it takes a long time to learn what to plant when and fortunately i've done a lot of the mistakes and so now i feel like what my job is turned into is 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 helping the other members of my team kind of learn those things and so we're always we're working on planting plans all the time um we have a number of apprentices that we have that we're kind of trying to work with them to develop this kind of understanding of what the seasonality is for vegetables what the seasonality is for flowers um if i'm lucky i get to go out and do some of that planting because that's my favorite thing to do uh, but yeah, we, you kind of learn that over time. Um, it's, it's a tough thing to learn because you could learn from another farmer maybe that's up in Maine, which a lot of the great, there's a lot of great farmers up north. Um, and, and they'll give you, hey, here's when we plant this. And then you come down to Cincinnati, totally different mm. uh, uh, agricultural zone, and that's all out the window. So it's kind of a little bit of, of give and take in terms of learning. Um, once you kind of get it down, it's pretty, pretty spot on. So I spend a lot of time facilitating, making sure that uh, um, the members of my team are able to kind of understand their own planting plan. I kind of look over and go, oh yeah, it looks all right. <laughs> um, uh, and we've got it pretty dialed in at this point. You know, we've been growing, the, the teams that are, that are here now have been, or at Green Acres now have been growing for quite a while. So um, that part's pretty easy these days. Um, all of our food goes to our farm stores, whether it's the farm in Indiana or the farm in, in Cincinnati. Um, we used to do a few farmer's markets and things like that, and we used to do a little more distributing. But when we really look at the mission of Green Acres, which is to educate, the best thing we can do is bring people to the farm because then that gives us a whole other opportunity to educate. And so if we can get people there, uh, that's great. And so we've really doubled down on instead of going outward, come, staying inward um, and, and making our farms a little more educational, um, we're going to be um, adding a, quite a bit of expansion to our farm store and kind of changing its location with the goal of being able to have, when people come in, it's like, yeah, you're buying food, but you're also uh, learning about this or learning about that and giving, giving people an opportunity to, you know, every chance we get to educate. Um, and so all of our food goes there at this point, um, and, and we donate anything that doesn't make it awesome. um, as best we can. Um, we kind of have an order of operations for our food. It either goes to customers. Uh, if it doesn't go to customers, it gets donated. If it's too far gone to be donated, it goes to animals. And if it's too far gone for animals, it goes in the compost. So we try and be as responsible as we can with our food. That's wonderful. Yeah. Can you tell anybody listening who might want to visit, like, mm -hmm. how does it work? Can anybody go? Is it a super public store? Is it, like, can you tell us the hours, that mm -hmm. sort of thing? The store is the only real public, either store on either farm is, is kind of the only real public space we have. Mm -hmm. um, because we have so many kids on property, um, we're really picky about making sure that things are left private because we just don't want random people on the farm when we have as many kids as we do kind of wandering around. Um, if you want to engage with the farm store, um, at least in Indian Hill, it's open Tuesday through Saturday. I'm totally going to botch the hours, but I think it's from like 10 to 5 during the week. And then on Saturday, it's open from, um, I think, 9 to 1 or something along those lines. You can definitely find it on the website. It's yeah, all there. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and why... Why would we want to come to the farm store? Can you tell us, like, 
how can you convince somebody that they should come to this farm store rather than getting their produce from the grocery store? Does that make sense? Like, yeah. what are you guys doing differently? And, you know, I know it's amazing stuff you're doing, so can you explain to us the difference? And It's a tough... It's a tough thing to answer because the context for anyone is going to be different, yes. right? Yeah. Some people are going to want to come shop at a small farm or, or responsible, uh, a farm that raises food responsibly for environmental reasons. Um, that's when we get a lot, you know? Some people are going to come for health reasons. You know, we're not spraying anything. We're not, we're not putting anything on the mm. food that you would ever be scared of. Um, so if we get people for that. Um, we get people because, honestly, if you grow food well, it just tastes better. So we have people who come just for, the, for, for that aspect. Um, we also do have um, quite a large livestock operation. Um, so we do grass-fed, grass-finished beef. Um, we do we have lamb. Um, we do hogs. We do chicken for meat. We do eggs. You know, we do all those things too. And so we raise them all as responsibly as we can. Um, and so I think that our draw is that we just have really great food all at one spot. Um, and so you know, depending on what people's kind of ethos is with with how they want to eat, um, the draw can be very different. No, that's very important, and well, I think one of the big draws could that makes you such a success is the manner at which you go through your farming process, right? Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about the kind of like rotational pastures mm -hmm. and generative farming is what I know the term that you guys like yep. to use. Will you just uh, talk to us a little bit about that and why it's so important? Yeah, so we really believe that, that, that food starts with soil. Um, I think that the other thing we believe is that animals um, moved responsibly um, can build soil. Um, what I mean by that is, is that in, in a really ideal system, um, you can have animals raised on, say, pasture, and if they're raised responsibly, they can generate soil health while also creating food. Um, in a lot of modern agricultural um, practices, um, it's really about kind of um, um, taking away from things to grow food. So uh, if you look at, say, a corn and soy field that you see all over Ohio, um, that soil is completely dead. I mean, in most of the winter, it's just lying there bare. Um, we believe that, that rather than using chemical fertilizers to grow food, that if we take really good care of our soil and treat it in the way Mother Nature kind of intended it to be treated, that that soil is going to grow food for us um, that is healthier. Um, we can't, you know, there's a lot of research being done about well-raised food and what kind of um, um, impact that has on like the nutrient profile of the food and then maybe what nutrient profile of the food can have, what effect that can have on people. Um, we're doing some studies with some universities to see kind of what we can gather from that. Um, but really what we're doing is, is at the end of the day is we're looking to how do we build the best possible soil in, in, in a simple way um, that, that can raise as much food as possible. And so one of the big things that we do in the garden department when we're raising vegetables is we use animals as part of our rotation um, um, for, for our vegetable production. So the project we are, that is like really the hallmark, at least of the Cincinnati farm, is we call it the lay field. Lay farming is something that isn't new. It's actually a pre-industrial style of farming. With the, it was kind of the intention of... Um, Say you have an acre of land, and it doesn't matter if you know how big an acre is. You have a plot of land, and if that was your land, what you would have to do is you have to divide it in half, right? And you go, okay, on this half I'm going to grow my, let's say, grain or vegetables. And while I'm doing the growing on that side of my land, on the other side I'm going to raise grasses and clovers and things like that. I'm going to run my animals over top of it, get their manure, get their urine, get their hoof impact. 
Um, and maybe I do that for two, three years. And when my vegetables or my grains start to go kind of not grow so well, I flip the plots. So now the plot that was grasses and clovers and animals is now that soil has been built up and is healthy and is, has a lot of fertility in it. And we're going to grow in that and we're going to turn our, our, our vegetable plot into grasses and clovers and animals. Um, so it's this idea of kind of letting land rest, letting it lay, and then and, and spending that time building up our soil so that we're not importing anything to build our soil up. We're just maintaining through, through kind of natural processes. Mm -hmm. So what we did, uh, we started this project seven years ago now. We, um, we brought animals back into the vegetable rotation. Once industrialization happened, that acre you have that's split in half, um, someone came around and said, hey, I've got this chemical fertilizer. You just put it down, everything's gonna grow like crazy. And everyone goes, no way, that's not, that's not how it works. Guess what, they did it, they put it, they did, instead of having the acre split in half, the whole acre grew and it was the best yield they've ever had. They've never seen anything like it. Fantastic. This is great. So they start just producing all on that acre. You know, they start using chemical fertilizers. What people didn't understand was that those chemical fertilizers and the, uh, um, are going to degrade your soil. So that health you were building up is now gone. And when that health is gone, it's hard to bring back. I think it takes like a thousand years or something. Wow. It's an insane amount of time to build an, even an inch of topsoil. So they have like... Years of really awesome production, mm -hmm. but then it's gone. It well, yeah, exactly. Well, what happens is all of a sudden, okay, I've been putting down this much, and okay, the crop's not doing quite as well. I need to put down more. I need to put down more. I need to put down more. You're growing the same crop year after year. It's You're putting down what we have calculated to be the fertility regimen of this crop when plant health is just as complicated as human health in a lot of ways, and it doesn't need just nitrogen uh, phosphorus and potassium, just like we need more than just protein, carbs and fat. Mm -hmm. We have micronutrients. We have all these different things. And so you're, you're putting these fertilizers down. You're, you start to see your crops degrade. And all of a sudden, as they get less healthy, all of a sudden pests start showing up. And all of a sudden, after you've been doing this, ro not rotating, all of a sudden diseases start showing up. So now you're spraying pesticides. And now you're spraying fungicides. You're doing all these things. And now all of a sudden, you have this completely dead soil that even if you wanted to go back to your previous system of rotating, your soil so far beat up that it's going to be a decade or more yeah. to even remotely get back to where you were. And that is kind of the state of farming in this nation right now, is that we've destroyed so much of our soil that even if we want to go back to it, it's going to be a serious, serious, serious lift. Um, but that kind of, to get back to what I was saying of what we do is, is, is you know, at this time, at a time, uh, livestock and, and vegetable production were, were married completely. Once this, this kind of industrial agriculture revolution began, they became divorced. So we're trying to bring them back because we really do believe that animal impact can build soil. And so we do this kind of long rotation um, where each year we move a plot, uh, just like how I explained, from pasture into vegetable production and a vegetable production pasture or vegetable production plot back into pasture. And we're kind of seeing how much fertility can we build doing this and can we grow like what would be considered profitable veg production in this kind of really, really, really simple way using just animals, grasses, legumes, and the one thing we've added is compost. Hmm. So for somebody who, like, I have a moderate idea of how this works or, like, an understanding of this type of farming, but I still have a lot of questions, and for me, I can kind of picture it, but imagine somebody's never heard of this. Mm -hmm. Is it literally, we'll use an acre again. Mm -hmm. So you have this one square acre where there are cows, mm -hmm. and next to it are strawberries. Mm -hmm. So 
2020 the cows are in this plot then mm -hmm. 2021 they're in the strawberry plot and the strawberries go to a next one like is that can you explain it so that like we can picture yes. it? yes so take that acre i was talking about split it into four quadrants okay each year two quadrants are in pasture two quadrants are in vegetable production and each year one of those quadrants rotates so each production each pa each year each sorry each quadrant gets two years of pasture two years of vegetable production and pasture means an animal is grazing. living on yeah. it, grazing on Not it. Not living on it full time. Okay. One of the most important parts of raising animals well on land, and something you see driving down the highway all the time is, is examples of this, is if animals are just left on a piece of land all the time, they're going to graze it down and actually beat up the land. I think animals right now in agriculture get a really, really bad rap because um, there's a lot of ways that they can be destructive. Just like any tool or anything, making sure that you manage things correctly is, is really the fine-tuning knob of these things. And so if they were just living there full time, that ground would be destroyed. Okay. Animals are hard. We're not, if you think about um, prairies, prairies um, would have these giant herds, say even in America, giant herds of buffalo would come through maybe three, four times a year max, you know, and they'd come in and they would, they would eat all the grass, drop all their manure, kind of have this huge impact, and they would leave. And that is the natural system of how grasses and these kind of mm. systems work because they need that time to regenerate. And so what it looks like for us is kind of these grasses and clovers and things growing, animals come in, they hit it really hard, we then let it rest. Um, we maybe graze animals on on these these pasture plots three, four times a year. Okay. Um, and that's kind of the max for us right now. Yeah. Okay. And then can you also go into like the health of soil? Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people are like, I can go to Lowe's and I can buy a bag of soil. What do you mean there's a shortage? Or what do you mean we don't have any topsoil left? Like. And the health of it, it's mm -hmm. it's a living thing. Can mm -hmm. you describe soil and its health a little bit more and, yeah. and how the manure helps and that sort of thing? Yeah, so soil is like, healthy soil is extremely complex. And I think that, that at least in the agricultural world, healthy soil, that, that, those, that gets thrown out all the time. And I think that understanding what that means is kind of tough, but there are some ways to think about it. There are three different kind of things that I think about when I think of soil in general, that it needs to be healthy and it needs to have... Um, let me put it this way. There's physical properties of soil. So that's like what the makeup of it. Is it clay? Is it sandy? Is it whatever? Um, is it loose? Is it compact? That's really important. Um, chemical aspects of soil. So does it have the elements of soil or of, of productivity that needs in the soil actually just as chemicals? Um, and that's not necessarily like applied chemicals. That's just, um, you know, boron and phosphorus and magnesium. Is that all in the soil? Um, so making sure that's all good. Um, and then the last thing is the biological aspect of soil. So the biological aspect is what makes all of the chemical side of things available to plants, at least in a natural system. Okay. In a conventional system, you're using water-soluble fertilizers, which don't need biology to be synthesized into plant nutrition. In a soil-based system that you're not using water-soluble fertilizers, biology is the, is the key that unlocks all of these things. Mm. So that's kind of how you have to think of soil. It has those three aspects. And then what we that Green Acres talk about with healthy soil is um, there's these five principles of soil health. And they make a lot of sense in a pasture-based system, but they don't always translate into a vegetable production system. And that's actually one of the things we're working on this in this Layfield project really hard is how do we translate these five principles of soil health into a vegetable production system. Um, there are things like um, soil cover, keeping the soil covered. Mother Nature does not like bare soil. And a lot of these things are just mimicking Mother Nature as close as we can. No bare soil, a living root in the soil as much as possible, um, um, diverse roots, so diverse ecology, 
um, very little soil disturbance. So that means really reducing tillage or maybe not tilling at all, which is something that is kind of coming up in the agricultural world really intensely right now. And the last thing that, that we look at for building healthy soil is animal impact. Um, what the animals do, like I kind of explained in that prairie scenario, is they have this like, they're dropping manure there, which is just basically um, full of their gut microbes and, and it's, it's ready for uh, um, soil biology to digest and their their hooves are pushing grasses just in the top couple inches of the soil their urine is as is, is can be a fertilizer in itself and and having them impact the soil in that way is just basically the way soil was was made to be built I mean that's how that's how the prairies were built um, and so we just kind of try and take all those concepts and make them work for a vegetable production system okay if that makes sense yeah so but there is a difference in if I'm understanding this correctly, that like vegetable production versus flower production or like grain production, would that, mm. would those all be different to you? So what's really fun about what we do is like, if you looked at a conventional side of things, those are completely different fields of, you know, it's, it's like, okay. there's a, we have to think about it completely different. With what we're doing is like really at the end of the day, if you have healthy soil, stuff grows. Mm. Um, it's what I love about the way we farm is I tell people all the time, I, I'm horrible at houseplants. Horrible because they have to be baby. You have to make sure they have the water. You have to make sure the light is just right. <laughs> Here, I'm just like we basically built a cake, right? Like we we got this. We have we have the manure. We have the soil is not disturbed. It's loose. Um, it's holding water very well. And all we do is we take that plant and we put it in and we go, nice, got it. You're growing. And we just let them go. Um, and so, if you have healthy soil, we kind of think of it as the engine that drives all these things what you're growing there's there's some minutiae there that you can okay. tweak for sure but if you have healthy soil it's unbelievable you can pretty much grow whatever you need to grow and i think that's part of what sets your generative farming techniques apart sure. right is the fact that i think most other farms in general would focus on the crop or mm -hmm. the product whatever they are trying mm -hmm. to grow it's not the soil that's the the factor it's no, we need these soybeans to grow so let's Correct. focus on the soybeans right do whatever we need to get those soybeans to grow whereas you guys are like no we want the base, that mm -hmm. base soil. Once that's healthy, it doesn't matter what we grow, something's going to grow on it, right? That's that's kind of how we think about it, yes. And is that something that you guys have had to build up, or has it been healthy soil there since the 40s? We're so lucky, and this is this is a serious blessing, because um, the Nippert's, when they set this farm aside, it was already pretty well taken care of, mm -hmm. and animals had been on the farm for years. Um, and so we started off, with, with pretty healthy soil and are, are just working to maintain and continue generating it um, to be better. Um, that is not the situation for a lot of farmers in this country. A lot of people, if they start a small farm, are working from a really rough spot. Um, our farm in Brown County was, was soybeans for a decade plus straight. The ground is about as bad as it can get. So what can you do? Add animals? Animals is part of it. You have to understand that um, there needs to be, yes, animals can, can, animals can be a part of the process. Um, using certain, we call them, so cover crops is a, is a concept that we use a lot. And cover crops are basically crops that are, um, or I should say plants that are really good at doing certain things for soil. Um, so maybe they're really good at breaking up compaction, or maybe they're good at taking nitrogen from the air and fixing it in the soil, or maybe they're really good at putting sugars into the soil to feed the, the microbes. Um, and so one of the things we're doing at that farm is we are establishing 
We're using cover crops to kind of maybe break the soil up, add nitrogen, and then bring animals over okay. top. Um, you have to imagine is that like if it took thousands of years to build all this topsoil and that is now now washed away, we're just really working hard to rebuild that. Um, exactly how you do that in the most efficient or best way possible, I'm not sure. If you can add compost to an entire farm, that would be great, but that's financially not really feasible for most okay. larger farms, especially if you're looking at like a animal operation. But but there are examples of amazing farmers all around the country and all around the world that have taken really marginal pieces of land and through correct grazing have completely rebuilt them and, 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 and brought them completely back to life, which is really cool and really exciting to see because sometimes when you look at the landscape of agriculture in America, you can be pretty disappointed. Yeah, I was going mm -hmm. to say, like, if it feels like, what do we do now? Because there are tons of mm -hmm. huge farmlands, or I don't know what the technical word would yeah. be, but farms yeah. where, like, you are they going to die off eventually? If, like, these specific farms, mm -hmm. let's say, if they have really bad soil, where can they go from? Like, there's going to be a point where they won't be productive anymore, right? And then what do you do from there? There's, there's some scary statistics out there that it's like, I've seen that, you know, people say we have, 60 harvests left you know what i mean which is like a terrifying prospect mm -hmm. and that's that's doing things exactly the way we're doing them now and and is that number where did that number come from i don't know mm -hmm. is it realistic i'm not sure but the idea is important to be thinking about um you know like i said is is you have to add more and more and more to the to these these systems these input intensive systems to get the same amount of crop out um the other aspect of that is that the average age of a farmer is like 60 or something right now. So not only is our soils getting worse, but we're, we have less people farming, they're older, uh, they're going to be retiring soon. And so what does that all look like in the next 20 years? I really don't know. And is that one of the main things you guys are hoping to teach? Not that specifically, but one of the reasons that Green Acres has agricultural classes is mm -hmm. to like get this into the minds of youth right now? Like, or if, if somebody sent their child to one of the education programs, would mm -hmm. you teach them about this sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Is this what they would be learning? Yeah, it depends on which program they're coming for. But we, yeah, we hope that they can become advocates for agriculture, or agriculture at the least. Um, the thing we're really doing is we're working on our apprenticeship program. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so that's one of, I, I guess I didn't really talk about that much in the beginning. That's one of my favorite things that we're okay. doing right now. Um, it doesn't matter if we figure out how to do all these systems. If the lay field works and we can build soil and grow food and it's healthy and it's, we have high yields and all these things, that's great. If we don't have farmers to do it, none of it matters. It doesn't matter how much research we have. It doesn't, it doesn't matter any mm -hmm. of these things. And unfortunately, it's, there aren't that many places to learn farming out there right now, at least in this kind of way, in small scale, mm -hmm. generative, regenerative, like kind of this, this scale. Um, you can look it up on the internet. There's a lot of bad information. Um, this might sound a little bit harsh, but I think a lot of academic programs are just not caught up to where farmers are. Um, and so in this space, it's really a lot of farmers innovating and teaching other farmers, which is really, really, really cool. And I think it's amazing. Um, and so I've learned from other farmers. Um, and then, and the goal is to take our program. Um, and because we have this, this, we're really lucky to have this foundation and we're really lucky to have this beautiful property and this, um, some of these amazing systems that we've been kind of developing. A big goal of ours is to become a real hub for teaching farmers. Um, because at the end of the day, like I said, we need these people. Um, right now, our apprentice program is a two-year program. I don't think you can learn this stuff in a small amount of time. 
that you have to fail forward. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a long time. It's really complex, especially if you're doing a bunch of different crops. Um, so it's a two-year program. Um, we try and get everyone is to be able to hopefully when they leave be able to manage an acre on their own. You know, be able to do their own thing. Um, we're really putting a lot of work in developing that program um, and really honing on the education of it because it is it is complex. Farming is complicated. Um, I think people think it's like oh you go out there with a pitchfork and you do this <laughs> and that. It's really complex. Um, and so we have this two-year program and we're hoping to be graduating and building that program over the next couple of years and, and be and have be kind of churning farmers out in the world. Will so, this be the first year that you do this program? Sorry. So we'll be graduating our first apprentices. Uh, we, it was previously an internship for a summer. Our first two-year apprentices will be graduating in November. Um, and they've gone from being like brand new to being excellent growers in two years. I, I couldn't be more proud of them. They're unbelievable. Um, and so it is possible. Um, is this apprenticeship program paid? Like if somebody's yeah, interested, yes, they could, okay. It is paid. Um, and can they find information about applying for it and everything mm -hmm. on the Green Acres website? Yep, it's either on the website or um, we do pull posts on social media um, when, we start, okay. when we start doing it. But it, it's a really cool program for people interested in agriculture. Um, we just take people who are passionate and want to do it for, the, for their, that's what they want to do with their lives. That's awesome. And is that more aimed towards like people who have recently graduated college or are still in college? Or I guess any age if you're passionate, I guess. Right? Any age. Yeah, we'll take any age. But it is, it is, it is a two-year program full-time. Okay. Um, you know, it, I would love to take uh, – we get a lot of college kids. They all want to come to the farm. Um, we try and push them into our volunteer program. Uh, we have a cultivation club that meets once a month, and we have a ton of fun volunteering on the farm. Um, but really the apprenticeship is a full-time, like you're there to learn and mm -hmm. work. So. And is this based more on the – vegetables and gardening side of things or is it also working um you know with the agriculture with the animals being put into this are they learning one or the other or both one of the coolest things about our farm is that we have everything you know we have so much of everything and so um they get to dabble in most things uh, we're looking to make that even kind of more intense next year of really getting to see other departments really getting to spend some more time with livestock they have their own apprenticeship um, but for us, it's very focused on vegetable production. Okay. Um, we used to do a little bit more broad between animals and, and vegetables. And what we found was that that gives you a really shallow, wide understanding of things. And what we're looking for is a deeper, narrow understanding okay. to really kind of hone in on, on some of these skills and be able to really do this. So I totally believe you that it's very complicated because I still don't know that I really understand it. But also you said once the soil's good, you put the plants mm -hmm. in and they grow. Yeah. So you have good soil. So if somebody is thinking about this apprenticeship, what are the things they're going to be learning? Like, what are they doing? Are they planting seeds on mm -hmm. a daily basis? Are they taking classes where they're learning about the nutrients in soil? Like, what would they be doing? That is the goal, right? The last two, the last two years have been kind of, we've been flying by the seat of our pants, like really teaching here, working there, a little bit of a mixed bag. But what we're putting in place um, starting next year is a, an actual curriculum. Um, so yes, they're doing, the first year is really spent just working on the farm. There, there's going to be an education and class component, but like, it's all kind of coming at you so fast. The work is hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to be out in the sun for eight to 10 hours mm -hmm. a day, every day for most of the season. Are they picking vegetables? They're picking and... vegetables. They're planting vegetables. They're watering stuff in the greenhouse. Oh, okay. They're harv yeah, like I said, they're harvesting. They're bringing stuff to the farm store. They're doing a little bit of everything. The whole cycle. We the have our horticulture cycle. team here and we're like, they have got to have the hardest job yeah, out absolutely. in the sun <laughs> always like with like 
branches all over them yes. and things. I'm like, oh, I do not envy yeah. that. It attracts a very specific kind of person who likes to just really kind of break themselves at work. Yes. Uh, I personally love that aspect of the job. Um, but yeah, so they get to do a little bit of everything. But what we will be doing next year is with this curriculum, um, we're going to be focused on, you know, the first, the f kind of a couple themes that we're really going to be working through. Soil is obviously one that's like the main one. We're going to work through crops. There's an aspect of people with farming, being in a farmer's market, understanding how to sell to people, understanding how to manage people. Oh, yeah, that's Anyone cool. who's ever run a volunteer program knows that like running volunteers seems like, oh great, people just show up. That's a huge management burden, mm -hmm. having them understand that. And then understanding the profitability side of things as well is going to be kind of the, the four themes that we're we'll working through um, while people are doing all the work and stuff like okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. That's an awesome program that we are kind of able to see. And you guys are in a unique position to be able to teach people each aspect mm -hmm. of the business, right? Yeah. Like running a farm, it is kind of a business at the end of the oh, day. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. You need to have the health of the farm, the health of the soil, but you need to know the people side. That's the side that I would completely underestimate is like, yeah, I understand the crops, I understand yeah. the livestock, but you need to be able to handle and manage people as well. Yeah, it's a lot of, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of everything. So you've kind of mentioned your favorite things, but what is your favorite thing about going to work each day? Oh, so, it, you know, I've been doing this now for 11 years. Um, I got into it with grand ideas of, of what food could be, and I still have those. Um, but where I'm really at now, um, the cool thing about farming is, is, is there's a lot of systems involved, and I think that's a lot of fun. Sitting there in the middle of the winter and imagining how your sweet potato is going to go, crop is going to go, and planning all that out to a T, and then executing it, I think is really, really fun. Um, so I've really still loved that aspect of it, but I'll be honest with the thing I love the most at this point, watching people learn farming is the most gratifying thing in the world. It's so cool to watch people go from like, I don't even know what this plant is or how to take care of uh -huh. it to being able to just like talk about like how long it's going to be till it's mature. Um, some of the things, some of the nutrients it needs the most, um, how to take care of it exactly. You know, watching someone grow in that way is unbelievable. That's my favorite part of my job by far. Well, that's awesome. So you're kind of a people person and a plant person. Um, I'm a plant person that is, that yeah, that likes, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know what I am. I think I'm mostly a plant person, but I do like my people. Yeah, I like, okay. my, I like my crew a lot. That's you know? awesome. And you guys offer, like, a whole array of educational opportunities as well, right? Like, I saw a lot about field trips and stuff mm -hmm. on your website as well. I think that's a great opportunity for younger kids, you know, maybe high school kids like yes. you to get involved, right? Yeah, so we're working on expanding the high school side of things. Um, but right now, all field trips are free. Um, if you can get there, generally, we can get you a class. Um, we do also have a bus fund. Um, and so we just want, you know, the Nippert's were a really, were really, really, really generous. Um, and so the fact that the foundation is what it is, our goal is just get people there. Um, so yes, there's field trips, there's summer camps, there's homeschool mm -hmm. classes that come out, there's all kinds of stuff, volunteer opportunities. Um, yeah, and we, we do a lot of one-off things. A school calls and be like, hey, we want to do this. It's like, Come on out. Yeah. Do you have any opportunities for like adults who would just maybe be interested in seeing the property or seeing what you guys do on a day-to-day -day basis? Are there like events that you guys host for adults mm -hmm. to come out as well? Yeah. So I'm going to speak mostly for my department, for the garden department. Um, we really started ramping up events this past year. We do like picnics, farm tours, stuff like that. Um, again, goal of education, we get people out. And so maybe for the picnic, you get to eat some food, hang out on the farm. I'm going to talk your ear off for like 20 minutes, and then you're just going to hang out and walk around. And we've had a lot of success with those. The farm tour is really cool. It's like you get to walk around the farm, but you're going to be learning at every kind of station you go to. Um, 
beyond that, um, we I mentioned it a bit earlier was this cultivation club it was a volunteer program we started okay. this year that I am really happy with. I could not be happier with it. Um, it's this time to kind of get people out, adults, um, and have them work on the farm. We get projects done. Um, but we also get to talk the whole time. So I'm answer we're, the crew's answering garden questions. They're asking us why we're doing this thing. Um, and, and that's a, our favorite opportunity right now to get people on the farm. Um, we're looking to expand that next year because we each have people like banging down the door to get in and we can't get, once Cultivation Club starts, it's like we can't even get them to leave, um, which is a great problem. That's awesome. We're, yeah. we're having a lot of fun and people are, the people are, they're there every week and they're always smiling, they're always happy and so we're looking to expand that um, because the farm is awesome. We love being on the farm. We work really hard to build it up and, and make it what it is and so we want to share that with as many people as possible. So right now events and volunteering is kind of where we're at, but maybe something else in the future. Very cool. That's awesome. So, is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to share and make sure people know about generative farming or the importance or anything about your job that you wanted to mention? No, I think we hit most things. I think the apprenticeship's really important. I think that, that supporting um, people and learning farming is, is really important. And, and like I said, the average age of our farmers is getting so, so up there that, that we really need to be building young people into farmers. Um, yeah. We, um, you know, we're recording this in October, but we're, this probably won't come out until November. But just in case it is in time, what is the deadline for the application for this apprenticeship? When this comes out, we'll probably just be opening it. Okay, perfect. Um, it doesn't really start until, like, April. Okay. So all throughout the winter, we're kind of sifting through candidates and seeing, seeing who, who wants to be there. Um, but, yeah, if, if this comes out, it should be hopefully open. Okay, great. So if... Um, you guys are listening and you're interested in checking out the apprenticeship program at Green Acres um, in the garden department. You can check out their website or social media and hopefully um, this will kind of let people know that there are opportunities out there to learn more about farming. And there's so much that, you know, we're very lucky or spoiled or I don't know what the right word is. We, sure. we can just go to the grocery store and get whatever we need. Mm -hmm. We don't have to think about how it got there, yeah. where it came from, like any sacrifices that were made by humans planting or the animals that were eating, that sort of thing. And I think it's really neat to look at it as like more holistically, which mm -hmm. I feel like you guys do at Green Acres. 100%. And it sounds like all the benefits that I wouldn't have thought of off the top of my head, but the food tastes better. It's yeah. healthier. Like the chemicals and no pesticides mm -hmm. and things seems like so obvious to me. That's where my mind would have met, went. Like mm -hmm. I didn't think about, Oh, it might actually taste better. And, oh, yeah. and not just be like, have something unhealthy but it could be healthier for me yeah that's um, funny because my mind initially went to like oh no when you go to a farmer's market and you get good stuff it always tastes better totally different that does it does make sense but that's yeah our brains went to different places yeah. and definitely i think the apprenticeship program's a great one i think as well like the summer camps for kids during, next summertime oh, yeah. if you're yeah, hopefully you can kind of get out ahead of that and sign your kids up because yeah, i think that's a great fast. opportunity yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Can you tell us about maybe one of your favorite successes or a story where you like learned from the year past something that was interesting to you? So farming is, is really funny in the way that sometimes you only get one shot a year to learn something. Um, you know, say maybe there's something you want to try in the spring, uh, a new way to do something. If it doesn't go well, sometimes the next time you get to try that is the following spring. Um, I always say that some of the best potato farmers are, are old because you plant potatoes once a year and it, a 60 year old potato farmer might have 40 times of growing potatoes. I've been doing this for 11 years and I've only got 11 rounds of potatoes <laughs> in me. So there is this aspect of time that is, that is really difficult. And so when we look at this Layfield project, 
Um, we've tried a lot of different things, and we've had a, numbers of, a number of failures, we have a number of successes. Um, in terms of what our, our best success was, um, was we had one this year. Um, we are always kind of looking um, to grow, obviously, crops with a, with a high yield, right? Conventional agriculture is all about high yield. Um, quality is kind of not really important, and, and a lot of conventional crops are looked at for only yield. Um, but we're looking at, we want a, a decent yield and we want a, a, a high nutrient profile in our food. Um, and so this year, one of the crops that we, we were really happy with was we had this onion crop. So you plant onions once in the spring, you know what I mean? You get one shot out of the year. Um, we had this system where we kind of been using this compost as, and, and, and not tilling and working on our soil. And we had this like, just bumper crop of onions, more onions than we've ever had before. Um, we were really excited about it. Now, testing the nutrients of food is a very complex process where you can send it off way to a lab, but we can also do an in-house test that isn't exactly, it isn't perfect, but it's, it's a nice indication. Um, so what we did with these onions, we had this huge yield, and we decided to test the bricks of the onions. That's B-R-I-X, which is a measure of the sugars in the plant. Um, when we measured our bricks for this onion crop, not only do we have all these onions, but the, the bricks measurement was seeing something along the lines of 10, uh, 11, 11.8 was one of the higher readings that we got. Um, and, and according to kind of some conventional charts, um, six brick, so whatever, the, I can't remember the unit of measure, but six is considered an excellent onion. Wow. And so not only are we having a nice yield, but we also have a quality of onion that is much higher than even what will be considered excellent by this measurement. Now, the thing that's important to talk about with bricks is it's, it is a measure of sugars and not a measure of necessarily how nutrient dense the food is. So we can't say these onions are like the best onions in the world, but generally if the, if the sugars are higher, the plant is healthier, if the plant is healthier, we have a higher nutrient profile. So it's a really, really exciting thing. And I think that it's, a, it's an aspect of, of, of farming that I think that small scale farms are really doing a lot better job of. We're not growing food to ship it. Mm -hmm. We're growing food that tastes good. We're growing food that does well in our environment. Um, we're doing, we're growing food that is often maybe an heirloom variety or something like that. Um, and that's completely different than a more conventional operation. Um, so you can take risks that maybe others can't, or you're willing to at least to figure out. Sure. My, my tomato might not ship for two weeks, but it's going to sit on your counter for four days before mm -hmm. you eat it. It's going to be delicious. You know, it's something like that. And, and that's where small farms can can succeed over over a larger yield focused farm is, is, is flavor and quality and all those and things. And what did you do differently? Like, why did you get so many onions this year? Uh, we just messed them up so many times previously, <laughs> we finally got it right. We just, have, <laughs> we just you know, compost um, um, is always gonna be a big part of our system because we're really focused on the biological aspect of farming and compost is really great for the biology. Um, we just did a number of things right. The soil was loose. You know, I talked about the physical and chemical and biological aspects of soil. I think we just nailed all three of them in, the, in this particular crop. Um, there's a, there's a really interesting, when it comes to, to nutrient density of food, I think one of the most revealing things, um, I, I talk about this a lot is, is there's this organization called the Bionutrient Food Association and they take all these samples of food from all over the country and they kind of look at the nutrient profile of them. They do that testing, so the more intensive testing I was talking about. Um, and one of the only agricultural crops that is grown for quality or has always been grown for quality is grapes. 
hmm. okay, because good grapes make good wine. wine. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, good grapes make good wine. It kind of makes sense. One of the few that is grown for quality. And in all their testing of all these nutrients, the grapes are the most interesting to me because they found that the poorest quality grape and the highest quality grape can have a 14 times difference in nutrients. Wow. And that sounds like, oh, 14, but when you think about it, that's the nutrient of one grape can have as many as 14. That's, That's wild. That, right. Yeah, that is so wild. Yes, and so... And it makes me sad, like, what have I been eating? My right, <laughs> that... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough. And it's, it's, it's when you start getting into, the, uh, into these kind of small farms that are growing food in, in really amazing ways, and you even start tasting it, that, that grape's going to taste amazing. Um, and kind of getting into that realm of, like, I don't... I can eat less and I get more nutrients out of it? That's a wild concept. Um, and just because I ate a carrot doesn't mean I ate a good carrot. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it really gets complex there. But at the end of the day, it's like if things are growing well, they're generally, in my opinion, better for all of us and better for our environment. So, so that, that makes sense. These onions that are like super human onions. Did you cook them in <laughs> yeah. anything? Like what do they taste like? They're delicious. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're the so good. Onion. They're so good. I mean, it's an onion, so it's like I'm not eating it raw. Yeah. Like, wow, this is great. I mean, uh, and they're not even sweet onions. They're for storage for all winter and stuff like that. But, oh, they're good. They're just good. Yeah. I mean, they just taste good. You, you know, you cook them down, you caramelize them, you're like, wow, this is so delicious. Like what would you do to these? It's like nothing. Uh, it's awesome. It's a cool. It's a cool feeling. Do you like take good. notes then and be like, this year we tilled the soil this much, we added this much compost, and then the next year you look at your notes and you're like, oh, maybe we should change this differently, or do you like just kind of pick off the top of your head what you want to change? I wish I was analytical enough to take that many notes. I always say at the end of every season, wow, I wish I took more notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me personally, I think other farmers are going to be different. For me, I just, it's off the top of my head. Okay. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's just remembering and learning. And that's probably what's taken me so many years to even remotely <laughs> decent at this. It's just like trial, trial and failure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just kind of learning it, okay. learning it and learning again, like I talked about in the beginning, the kind of principles. If you get really good at the principles, you don't have to know all the analytical details. Okay. Or if you kind of get the analytical details kind of in your gut and you just know them, it gets a lot easier. There are people who are, I, and I, they're great on my team, who are much more analytical and we're getting better at taking notes, uh-huh. which has been really fun. Um, but yeah, most for me, at least for a long time, was off the top of my head. Yeah. 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 We kind of go through the same things. I mean, it's hard to compare, but like when you introduce certain animals or, you know, you do just different, I'm trying to think of like a good example that I could give, but we know how this animal might react and we're like, oh, afterwards we should write down and say what we should have done differently mm-hmm. or how this could have gone better. Yeah. And like, then you don't. And you're like, next year, oh, what did we do? do? Did, we, did <laughs> yeah. we put up burlap yes. that year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, ex- it's exactly <laughs> like that. It's yeah. exactly like that. So yeah, but I feel like just like you, I feel like on, a lot of times the things you learn from the most from are your failures, right? Like yeah. those are the ones that kind of stick with we'll you. Yeah, again. Yeah. Yep. yeah, you're able to learn the best from those. For oh, better yeah. for worse, but... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Go forward. That's what I always tell the apprentices. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, um, I think... Do you have any other questions? I got nothing. I think no. that was really helpful and informative. Yeah. We add end every episode with a, what can I do? So, if there's one thing you could tell people to be better stewards of the earth, mm-hmm. what can I do? If there's one thing that I, I wish people did more is that I, I wished... I wish consumers would engage with their food more. And what I mean by that, I guess one of my favorite sayings, and I've been saying this for years, and I don't know who I stole it from, but someone said this (laughs) that was much much wiser than I am, is that Americans are uninterested in food because American food is uninteresting. Um, Or I should even say uh, Americans are uninterested in vegetables because American vegetables are uninteresting. And what you said about about the, uh, the, the supermarket is very true. 
how lucky are we that we can go out, walk into the supermarket in the middle of January and see tomatoes, right. avocados, we can see anything we want, whenever we want. That's a really amazing thing. What we need to understand with that kind of cool thing of having food all the time is that what it takes to get the food there is not necessarily a good thing for us. So what I mean by that is um, food is grown to ship and food is then grown to look good on a shelf. How many times have any of us bought greens from the store, got them home, two days later they're mush? Mm -hmm. They've probably been in shipping, they've, who knows how long that they were in transit. One of the things, you know, going back actually to that strawberry patch where we're picking the snails off of, we were, while we were picking snails, we were obviously eating the strawberries also. <laughs> and I remember that I ate a strawberry and it was like, what is this? I've never had anything like this before. This is what a strawberry tastes like. I've actually, up until this point, I don't know if I've ever even had a real strawberry. I ask people all the time, I go, what does it look like when you cut a strawberry open from the supermarket? What color is it on the inside? It's often white. It's white. white yeah. It shouldn't be. Yeah. That's just that plant has been kind of pushed to grow. That white is just flavorless cellulose. It's just plant structure. There's not sweetness in it. There's not nutrients in it. It's just plant structure. Uh, when you go to the supermarket and get a tomato, it's like, oh, it's this beautiful red tomato, and you cut it, and you look at the center of it, and it's white on the inside. It's not supposed to look like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually, believe it or not, was a really picky eater growing up. I did not like vegetables, which is hilarious. That is funny. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, you eat a tomato in the middle of summer, and you go, whoa, this is what this tastes like? This is amazing. And I think that if people understood that that we do have this innate ability to taste food and when it's good it's our bodies telling us that's good for us mm -hmm. doritos have kind of messed that up for a lot of us <laughs> but when it comes to vegetables i think it's really 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 important um and so i wish people engage with that more and spent time going to the farmer's market and spent time meeting farmers and spent time understanding that that there are people that really care about food and really care about the environment and those things can intersect on farms and that if we support those small farms, not only can we get better, hopefully healthier um, food for ourselves, but we can also support local uh, businesses. Mm -hmm. You know, these farmers really care a lot, and all, a lot of them are working seventy-hour weeks just mm -hmm. to just to make ends meet. And 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 I just think it's really important um, for consumers to, if if they can, find a way to engage with food a little bit more. Um, the other thing I see sometimes is you know people will. When they see livestock on the farm, they go, oh my gosh, how can you know this animal and then eat it, right? And, and what I always say back is, how can you not? You know, we've gotten so used to, you go to the supermarket, you get everything you want, you grab a package of meat off the shelf, and it just goes, yeah, it's a packet of meat. I don't want to know that this was alive. Yeah. Understanding that it was and that it deserves a good life um, is really, really important. Mm -hmm. It's something that we really believe on the farm. Um, and so engaging even with that side of it too, that scary side. I can look into a, at a cow and it's, it's the cutest thing I've ever seen and I, I know it's going to go to the butcher and I think it's really important to cherish that, that that cow had a good life and that when I eat it, I make sure I eat every last bite and, and understand that this cow was raised in a way that's going to be more nourishing to me and I had a good life and, and that it's delicious and that the vegetables I'm eating with are delicious and that is just a really important thing that I feel like we've lost. Yeah, I um, definitely agree with that. I think that kind of detachment of the consumers mm -hmm. is kind of what's contributed to like the loss of like the quality of animals' lives in farming over yep. the years. Because like you said, when you have to go to the supermarket and it's just a package of meat, 
You don't even think about the chicken mm-hmm. or the cow that this came from. Mm-hmm. You don't care if they have a bad life because you don't even think of them. But yeah, you don't want to. When you're with the animal, seeing it grow, seeing it live, mm-hmm. you want to make sure it's got the best life. And also, oftentimes, just like with the veggies, that turns out being the best tasting stuff as well and the highest yep. quality stuff is when yep. it's actually loved. <laughs> yes. And, and if, if we had more farms doing that and more people supporting those communities uh, or more, more people supporting those farms that support those communities... Um, we would have a really, really different food landscape, and I think it would be a world that a lot of us would be really happy to see. Definitely. Yeah, that all makes so much sense, and it is one of those things. It's hard to think about with the animals, but at the same time, I'd rather have an animal, know I'm eating an animal that had an amazing life until the very last moment than an animal that probably had a miserable life, and I didn't Mm -hmm. have to look at it. Yep, yep. It's it's, ignorance is not always bliss, Mm -hmm. and we always say on the farm that we hope that our animals only have one bad day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there's something to be said, too, for... The fact that you said, you know, we can go to a supermarket right now and we get any produce that we want any time of year, it doesn't matter. I do feel like you'll hear kind of like my parents talk about it and stuff growing up where it was like, no, there was watermelon season. That's mm-hmm. what made watermelon yes. so good is <laughs> yes. you only got to eat it this one time a year, you know, like yeah. it was a special thing. And now it's like, no, I can get a watermelon whenever I want. Whenever it. you <laughs> want. And, and that, yeah. I'll tell you what, when, when the heat of the summer's going, you get that, that, that watermelon fresh. Nothing better. Nothing hits like it. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> but also what it is is like when you're when we had a community of when we, when communities would be canning or preserving, we're taking that food at its peak and we're then saving it rather than having it grown you know in South America and shipped up to us. And it's just a very different food landscape. And I think that um, it makes it makes it really hard for people to eat responsibly. It yes. really does. It really does. And I don't blame anyone for having trouble with it. I think it's really hard. But I think that it. The solution is really simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, you know, just buy closer to home and buy things in season. Can them if you can. It's fun. Canning's fun. Uh, it's a great thing to engage with your food more and make it more of a, a part of our lives. I think that so many times we're eating on the go. Mm-hmm. We're all so busy. Mm-hmm. But if you slow down a little bit, uh, and I'm not good at this, I'll be honest. I'm not good at it either. But if you slow down and enjoy food uh, and cherish it a little bit more, I think that it goes a long way. That's awesome. I love it. I do too. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, Ian. Of course. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to be here and come to the zoo um, and teaching us so much about this. And I hope everyone uh, knows a little bit more. I know I learned more. I still feel like, like you said, it's very complex and there's so much into farming mm. that we have probably yeah. I'll never understand. But I'm glad that there are people like you that do yeah, <laughs> and course, really care course. about it and are yeah, working hard you. for that. So, and Can you plug the website one more time for anyone who's interested? Yeah, it's uh, I don't know the exact URL, but it, it is just the Green Acres Foundation. Green Acres uh, Foundation. You'll find okay. us right there on Google. Um, not hard to find. Check out the farm store. If farm you have store, time. yeah, yeah. Some Follow fresh produce, media, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, awesome. Farm store. Check out some events. Check out their yes, website. Yes, Definitely. yes, yeah. Join the cultivation club. Come volunteer with us. Yeah. You could hear me just ramble even more. <laughs> I want to sign up for a tour now. Yeah, please do. I will. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks, thanks for you listening, everyone. Have a great day. Yeah. Until next time. Take care, everyone. <laughs>